Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Dalitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. My name is Matthew Dalitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy and as almost always here with Richard Hill. Hi, Richard. Uh, I'm almost always here, and but I am here now. So, no, it's fantastic, Matt. Uh, it, it's it's great to be doing another fabulous um, podcast, as we mm-hmm. do pretty much every week. Goodness gracious me. Yeah. We love doing this thing because it gets us all around the world and it gets us into all kinds of different aspects. And um, we, we've been looking more lately at sort of the wounded healers, at the sort of people who, who come to the framework in order to try and understand their own experience. And I think that's really what we could say about uh, our wonderful guest, Jason Shears, today. Absolutely. So we're going to go across to the UK and we're going to talk to transformative coach, Jason Shears, who has quite a deep history and he'll explain a little bit of that uh, in the interview. Um, But we really appreciate uh, how he's turned that around and is transforming other people's lives, which you'll also hear more about in the interview. Yes, I mean, this working with uh, addiction, knowing addiction does give an enormous amount of support to people who are being helped by someone. And I know I've heard this from many people who are saying, you know, what addiction did you have? And um, I I said things like love and and money. But Jason really, really knows the story and uh, and he's found some really interesting and uh, beautiful ways to move through this. Fantastic. Now, before we jump across, let me... Well, first of all, thank you for tuning in to the Science of Psychotherapy. And if you do enjoy what we're doing here, uh, we have an academy. It's called the Science of Psychotherapy.net. That's our academy site. And we would love for you to be part of the tribe. So to jump across there, there's a, a monthly a subscription fee and you have access to everything that we've been doing over the past decade. Absolutely. And it's just hundreds of hours and we you can get your CEU certificate to take to your association and uh, most associations seem to be accepting our, our, uh, our certificates, which is absolutely fantastic, but it's up to each individual group. But for now, we're going to shift ourselves from this and we're going to transport ourselves miraculously over to the UK. Jason, welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to meet you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yes, and I know it's morning for you, evening for us, because you're in you're in the the, the old Dart uh, way mm-hmm. over there. But you know, we just got interested in your stuff. Someone brought you to our attention. We had a look, and we thought, oh wow, <laughs> Jason does what we do: you know, talk to people, uh, find out about stuff. And then we looked in, and you do a lot of work in uh, addiction, particularly mm-hmm. uh, the processes of change, uh, and. You started out in the corporate area, then you end up in this human area. Uh, we've said a couple of things about you, but how about you give us a little bit of a uh, elevator speech of how you got yourself to here and doing what you do? Yeah, it's kind of a long journey, but I'll make it as short as possible. Yeah, it's, just do your think, life story I, in two minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> five minutes. Um, I had, a, I had like, well, I'm 29 years in recovery, so I, I mean, I had a life of addiction. Uh, that was my kind of story, uh, which started off with a, a traumatic loss of my dad. He was killed in an accident when I was a when I was a little boy, mm-hmm. and um, from there, my life was eating disorders and and psychiatric systems and so on, and sort of being very uh, off key. I guess was the word as a, as a child. You know, um, you know, I received diagnosis at a very young age, and then when I was a young teenager, I found drugs and got into addiction and crime and jails and institutions and locked wards and chaos. You know, basically, that was my my life of escapism from myself, you know. And um, so I got into recovery, into 12-step recovery, and I kind of found that it was a bit like a whack-a-mole approach where, okay, I stopped taking drugs and alcohol, but I, all the other addictions, food, everything else just kind of consumed my life. Um, so I thought I'd become a psychotherapist because I'm surely if I could understand how to help others, I would be able to help myself, you know, because I was still suffering Meanwhile, I got started my IT career, so I had this parallel experience going on of kind of being a therapist and having a career in IT, which I still have, you know, I still have an IT business and still work with people. And somewhere along the line, they kind of collided, you know, it's kind of like where uh, an addiction treatment 
a person who wanted to build an addiction treatment company came to me and said, you know, would you come and do all our marketing and stuff like that? And I ended up being heavily involved in um, one of the biggest, I think the biggest private provider of addiction treatment in the UK. And I kind of helped them build out, you know, to, to a huge investment from a US healthcare brand. Well, that's where my two careers collided. You know, my love of what I do in IT and my love of, um, helping people with addictions you know but meanwhile my practice and my own self development evolution you know had been going on and and even though I'd had all these qualifications in psychotherapy and and many other things you know in NLP in CBT in person-centered in psychodynamic um theories you know it's kind of like I still wasn't happy, you know, and and come to think of it, I always say this, that I knew a lot of therapists and they weren't happy either. You know, it's kind of like I didn't really know anyone who was genuinely just happy. I don't mean happy because they got a new car, a new house or a new girlfriend or lost weight. I mean, just happy for no good reason, you know. Um, Everyone talked a good life story, but when they secretly came to you and called you up on a Sunday night or something when they were when they were struggling and suffering they told you the truth about what they how they'd been behaving in secret in the same way that i'd been behaving in secret you know it's kind of like with pornography with gambling with uh compulsively eating and all those things you know as a way of coping then i kind of thought nobody seems to really know you know nobody seems to have really found happiness you know and it's like and how can i really help someone else i mean like all these qualifications had given me this real sense of presence of being with my own suffering so what so the way i describe it is we could sit in the dark you know with my clients my therapy clients we could sit in the dark great you know it's but nobody knew where the light switch was you know it's kind of like i could sit with them in their pain and their suffering i could i could take them back to at their past and and as a, as had been done with me you know it's kind of like and, and really look at this disconnection this parental sort of relationship the trauma all this stuff that you learn in in those type of theories, but I couldn't really t- teach them the one thing that they wanted was how to be free and how to be happy. You know, it's kind of like, it didn't seem like it was possible to me because I hadn't discovered it for myself. Um, and through all my stuff, you know, it's like to cut this shorter, you know, it's kind of like all, through all my stuff. And I, I say this is somewhat serendipitous or, or life was guiding me. You know, it's kind of like I got to the point where I was 22 years clean. Um, I had a long list of qualifications and I was just wasn't happy. You know, it's kind of like I'd done everything I could. I, 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 as soon as somebody would bring up a new, because th- all these new therapies are coming out all the time, EMDR, RFT, DBT, you know, it's kind of like they were all coming out over these years when I was doing it and I would be going yes I need that maybe that's the one you know it's kind of like so I would go to all these new things I've done the landmark forum I've done the Hoffman process I've done silent meditations Uh, you know it was endless what I would do and I, I ended up doing Tony Robbins I did all Tony Robbins stuff I went across the world to America doing this stuff and I came across the the understanding of the three principles which was by accident, I guess, or not, you know, it's kind of like I was listening to this video of Michael Neal, who who shares the understanding of Sydney Banks, and um, something, you know, like it was the first time where I'd felt that real resonance with listening to something, and something inside me was like, there's something about what this guy's saying that I need to know more about. I didn't know what it was. Like, my, my it wasn't in, in my intellectual capacity as a therapist and an understanding of how change works and what people it was wasn't that you know it was like there was something inside me going there's something here for you there's something deeper there's something that whatever he's saying I couldn't I couldn't you know intellectually reconcile it but so I kind of sat with that for a while and then nothing happened I carried on in my struggling and suffering but then a year later I was going to LA for a coaching training with another guy and I looked at this, I said, oh, that guy, Michael Neal, yeah, I remember him. He's got, he lives in LA, doesn't he? I'm just going to look on his website, just like that. And, and like two days after I was on this other coaching training, he had this thing on which he called infinite, possi- infinite potential, infinite possibility, I think he called it. And it was what was called an intensive, you know, which is quite funny because it's probably the most relaxed thing that I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought, I've got to go. I've got to go. I just knew it. You know, it's kind of, I've never been to LA before at this time. This was like six or seven years ago. And, uh, and it was quite expensive. And a friend of mine, um, paid for me to go. I couldn't afford it, you know, 
And I feel like that was a beautiful thing, you know. It's kind of like, because perhaps I wouldn't have had that opportunity if it was just down to me, you know. And uh, and I went there, you know, with my uh, with my list of qualifications in my mind and my ego and my identity, thinking, what can anyone else teach me about change? You know, it's kind of like I'm 22 years clean. I've worked with addiction for 20 years. I've got all these qualifications. You know, it's kind of like, which was really just a manifestation of my own insecurity. You know, it's kind of like, that's all it was. You know, it's I've sat in a room of people. You know, it's like I've got to appear to look like I know what I'm talking about. You know, it's kind of like... So I was feeling really irritated. And I remember Michael just said to me, he just, I had this notebook out and I was waiting for him to start, you know, and I was feeling more and more pissed off. You know, I was going, God, this thing's so expensive and there's five of us here. We've all paid this same amount of money. And he's just said, we've got two hours for dinner. It's kind of like, we're only actually in here for like three or four hours. How am I going to learn anything? You know, it's kind of, I'm going to get my money's worth because I had the money's worth story running. It was one of my things, you know. And uh, he just looked at me and said, you don't need a notebook, you know. He said, like, you could just be here with us, you know. It's kind of like, and just be present. And I, no one had ever, in all my trainings, you know, like you turn up for, for years and years of psychotherapy trainings, the first, you look around the room and the first thing everyone does is takes out their notebook and starts scribbling down everything that somebody says, you know. And it's kind of like, and that was just what I'd learned to do, you know. It's like, so it's just like no one had ever given me that invitation. Can you just be here? Can you just be present, you know? And it was like, I was like, wow, that was, that was new. You know, that was something different about that, you know? And I kind of thought, for whatever reason, it was such a loving invitation. It felt so loving, you know, that it was like I was able to just put the notebook down and just, um, just relax, you know, because it's one of the things that when I work with people, I just say, look, there's nothing to, there's nothing to hear here. There's nothing to see. Just relax. You know, it's kind of like, it's just a way of, of, of absorbing information without the filter of the intellectual mind, you know. Um, I didn't know that back then. I was kind of clueless, you know, but like in two days, you know, I remember after two days, and this is after 40 years of suffering with eating disorders, of struggling, of feeling like I had a trauma that was impossible to resolve after having psychiatric care, a long list of diagnoses, um, being in 12 steps for 22 years, having a long list of qualifications, you know, it's kind of like I sat there and I just felt calm and blissful, you know, and it was like, and I just thought, wow, what, what has happened? Because I didn't know, you know, I just didn't know. I just knew I could hear the birds tweeting. I remember I was sat in this, like, on this bench swing at the back of this Airbnb, and there was this green field at the back of me. It was in Woodland Hills in LA, and I was just sat there looking around, like, and, and I, I drift off into my mind trying to work out what had happened, but then I'd come back to the present moment, to the feeling of my body and, and the present, and just think, like, wow, what's going on here? I could hear the birds tweeting. It's like, it's like I've just woken up out of a bad dream or something, you know? It's kind of like my life was like a bad dream. Well, and, uh, dream? you know, oh. that's, how I got, that's how I got here, you know? It's yeah. kind of like a bit of a long way, but that's kind of no, how I got here. No, it's, it's, it's beautiful. <clears throat> and it's the stuff that um, Matt and I uh, 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 have been pursuing. And it seems odd because we have this thing called the science of psychotherapy, you know, to, to take out your notebook and take the stuff. And, uh, uh, and in our book is, is uh, and we, we're both musicians, and so we, we, we talk about this metaphor quite often, is that when you improvise, you can improvise much better when you have good technique. Uh, but you don't. Um, but the technique is not what allows you to improvise. What allows you to improvise is exactly what you've been been saying: is to reach a point where you are calm and blissful and relaxed with the experience. That then all this knowledge uh, just simply gels into a into a, a, a human experience. And um, I'm sure that somewhere in amongst all the neuronal firings and bits and pieces these bits of knowledge and experience were useful. Um, but it's, uh, I mean, this is certainly the pursuit at the moment. I'm doing a, doing a, we, we do a thing a, a called client responsiveness where I'm trying or being responsive to the, the therapist being responsive to the client where we're looking not for how the, to get the theoretical framework that makes the client better, but how the client is expressing their theoretical framework and Michael just picked it up beautifully. You were sitting there ready to take notes and he's going, oh, wow, Jason's just told me what his problem is. 
And yeah. what his difficulty is, I'll just relieve him of that. Yeah. And then he will find it. Uh, and I, I mean, I just thought that was uh, that that's a grand and beautiful story. I love it. It was. It was very moving, you know, and it was um, because I never thought I would ever. It, all the seeking, you know, people used to say to me, seeking's your problem. I mean, around the, around the recovery stuff, you know, seeking is your problem. And it's kind of like, I, I don't say that today. I say never give up seeking to anyone because I think seeking is your intuition of home. You know, it's your knowing that there's a place of perfect mental health within. There's a place of okayness within all people. You know, that's what I see. And that's what Sidney Banks talked about. You know, that all human beings have perfect mental health. They just don't know it, you know. They just don't and, know it, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, what see, it was I, for me. I, you know? Yeah. I, I've noted in one of, the beginning of one of my other books, I just said the client comes in, they say, I'm okay. Or they say, I'm not okay. And then you do some stuff and then they say, I'm okay. Well, how do they know? And exactly that that sort of thing. So, well, I mean, I, I, Matt and I talk about this often. We say, wouldn't it be fabulous if our ideas were so new and the residing genius of the universe? But actually, when you think about it and it comes back, uh, you know, like, like one of my other ones, I went back and it was bloody Plato who said it first. But, uh, but Matt, you've been doing, you know, I mean, you've had a lot of these these sorts of things yourself, this this coming through uh, all the work you're doing uh, in trying to understand Ian McGilchrist, you know, the, the master in his emissary, those sorts of things. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, I, I wanted to just come back to Jason and, and that experience, and I just wanted to ask, well, it sounded like that was the light switch that you were um, you're trying to find uh, earlier on. Um, and are you able then, to, once you, you've found the light switch, so to speak, um, how you've managed to articulate that um, to to clients moving forward. So I'm, I'm keen to know. Yeah, I mean, like, um, it took a while. I mean, I, I knew a lot of things in those moments. I knew I wouldn't practice psychotherapy as I was trained in it. You know, I just mm -hmm. kind of knew that that wasn't useful and people were not broken. You know, I could see that. And I think that's been the fundamental foundation of all my work there you know it's just the knowing that people are okay beneath their thinking you know right. and it's like and, and that's what the way that like over the time after I met two people that became my mentors after my experience with Michael because I did super coach academy with Michael as well and um I kept, you know, I'd been so lost in the story of me for so long, you know, it's mm. kind of, that's what I'd woke up to, that that was just a story that I told myself, you know, that was no more real today than the first time I told it. And I was living in the feeling of this story that I was telling of myself to myself and into the world. And like, no, no matter how many times I tried to find a different angle of how broken I was to these two mentors that I had, they never bought it. They never once said, yeah, do you know what, Jason? You're gone. You're way past this thing that we're talking about here, this spiritual truth that all people are okay. That doesn't apply to you. You know, it's kind of like, you may as well go home. You know, it's kind of like, that's what I was kind of expecting, you know, but right. not once did they ever go, yeah, never. It was just like, no, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. And what happens, I think, in the in the process of that is that, as someone else sees the perfection in you, in me, they, as they saw it in me, I started to see it in myself, you know, and, and the story started to fall away. So the way that translates to answer your question is, is that like, that's the fundamental foundation of my work with anyone, yep. you know, and I'm guided by the moment, you know, it's kind of like, yes, yeah, stuff does come into it, you know, it's kind of like, and uh, all the past stuff that I did is all valuable, you know, it all contributes. I, I don't dismiss any of it, you know, and, and um, helping people wake up to the story, you know, using metaphors, using um, pointing of different stuff, asking people to look, you know, uh, not trying to convince anybody of anything, but just saying, look, I'm going to share something with you. I, I don't want you to take my word for it because I'm not trying to teach you anything that you don't already know. What I'm asking you to do is look inwardly. So like most people come for help if it's their first time 
first thing they want to do is talk to you about everyone else or everything else that's wrong. You know, it's kind of mm. like, so we change the direction to introspection first. Let's look inwardly. And like, and and sort of have people look, you know, it's kind of like, what, what part am I playing in the creation of my experience? You know, it's mm. kind of like, look, I'm not asking you to, to believe me that you're creating it all yourself, but I'm asking you to look for yourself inwardly. Sometimes I have people listen to audios, different things, you know, but we have what I call transformative conversations, mm. you know, where people have insights into their own suffering, you know, into the creation of their own suffering within themselves, you know, and it's kind of like, and the deeper this goes, like you, you just, we're so close to this experience, you know, we're so close to it. We've lived in it for so long that we don't realize that we're creating it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost like you can't see the eyes, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean they're not there. You can't see the creation of your experience. It doesn't mean you're not creating it, you know? And it's like, yeah. and having people look towards this stuff, they start, you know, at times having insights going, Oh Yeah. Wow, you know, I hadn't seen that. You know, I hadn't seen that it's through my beliefs that I'm suffering about this, about right and wrong, and that's part of my conditioning. It was installed into me, you know. We we look back at the whole creation of experience sometimes, you know. It's kind of like when um, we're born as a, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing this because I'm not, you know, I can't, no one can quantify this, but like as I see it, you know, we're born as a seamless flow of, sensations and perceptions we perhaps don't even know i'm a i'm a body or i'm a boy or a girl or any of those things they're all part of the identity as it starts to grow you know it's kind of like then all we need you know is is warmth and love and food you know it's kind of like as a child you know it's like there's no software installation at that point you know it's the hardware we're born of the oneness of the spiritual intelligence the same force of nature that makes the rain fall or the grass grow, you know, it's kind of like unexplainable, you know, but something palpable, but unexplainable, you know, with words. If that's true, it's kind of like, then everything else that comes after that is installed, you know, is installed by conditioning. I think you mentioned earlier something about societal, something stuck with me when you were speaking about societal conditioning or uh, it could be family conditioning, religious conditioning, depending on, you know, cultural conditioning, whatever you come through, the whole story is part of that creation, you know, it's kind of like, and then, and then helping people to see that, you know, who, whose are those beliefs? You know, where do they come from? It's kind of like, what, what makes you think that's right and that's not, you know, or, you know, it's just starting to look at the creation of our experience and beliefs and the, and the root cause of our struggle and suffering is our, idea that we me i am a separate entity you know there's something inside of me if you cut me open apparently called a character and a personality that you know that defines me it's kind of like and i and that's not true there's no such thing you know no one's ever found a character no one's ever found a personality you know or any of those things so like all the all the um investigation into myself leads to nothing to no, there's nothing there you know it's kind of like there's just a head full of flawed ideas you know which you know, my work further as it's gone on from that kind of spiritual realization is that mostly you know it's a it's a response to trauma you know it's a it's a response to trauma the creation of i as a separate being that has to do achieve create get in the world to be okay you know all all, all that disconnection from self disconnection from our spiritual nature you know i think that's a a long answer to to the question yeah so so, that's beautiful uh, in in going back again to to your story so it sounds like that you wouldn't have come to this realization yourself the prerequisite the catalyst that the that the the required thing is a, a an other to recognize something about you that that was not the story you've been telling yourself is that true i don't think that's a fact i think people do have spiritual realizations by themselves okay. you know so but but i think it's helpful you know i think we can as as practitioners therapists teachers whatever you call it you know it's kind of like i think we can create a space you know for for the opportunity for insight for the seeing and if we sure. know where we're pointing, you know, it's kind of like then we can help guide people to see the truth of who they are. Without uh, being you know. overly prescriptive because, yes. you know, we all have our own biases yeah. and, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we, yeah, my mentor uh, uh, we and I, we 
talked about this a lot. And the, the words we came down to was that um, uh, uh, the other, and be it a therapist or be it family member or whatever, uh, when it's beneficial is is as just as you're saying to to create an opportunity and the appropriate circumstances. Uh, and sometimes we need that assistance. Um, and it was really interesting. I was talking to someone today who's um, uh, uh, working in their company, and they're they're sort of uh, very respected and and utilised in their in the nature of diversity and uh, achieving diversity. I mean, he's gay. He's he's um, got a lot of other aspects, dyslexic, and so on and so forth. And one of the things that I've been talking to a, a lot about, and it it seems to be in there, is is the wrong use of this word normal of which people are diverse from, uh, as different from uh, just not usual. But actually, as you're talking about, every single one of us is not usual. Uh, it's that it's that wonderful uniqueness. But <coughs> all the things that we do in our world that encourage us not to look, um, that beautiful thing you just said there, just, just stop for a second and have a look. Uh, mm-hmm. And not not big drama. Go inwards, delve into you know, mm-hmm. find the dirt and things. But just look. And and as an actor, um, I, I think everyone should do at least a year of of being an actor uh, to to learn because you just spend a whole lot of time looking at these characters. I mean, so much of what you, you talked about there. Um, you know, I, you, I can think of Shakespearean characters that that did that. Very same sort of stuff. Hamlet, to some extent, was as he sat there doing the to be to not to be uh, uh, speech. It's 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 really interesting. But at what point is it that the person finds themselves in the opportunity in the appropriate circumstances? Uh, and your story, it was after many years of doing things that maintained, but then just finding by by uh, continuing to seek enabled you to find the the space that actually allowed you to stop uh, uh, looking outward and, and look inward. Yeah. I mean, you could see it. I mean, like you could, many people share gratitude for adversity, you know, in early life now, particularly if they've had some sort of awakening or realisation experience that it was those things in a way, you know. I, I, I like the saying, you can never get enough of what you don't want. And it's kind of like I often ask clients to sort of sit and think about that for a second. You know, it's kind of like, well, what, what does it really mean? You know, it means that life keeps, you know, sideswiping you, slapping you. You know, it's kind of like until you kind of wake up, you know, it's kind of like you keep getting into the wrong relationship until you start looking inwardly. It's kind of like you keep having difficult experiences of finances you know until you start looking at your relationship with money it's kind of like you can never get enough of what you don't want because all of it is pointing you inwardly you know to finding the place of peace that is within all human beings regardless of the money or the relationship or the weight loss or the job title or the house size or any other shit that we seek for you know in the material paradigm of existence you know it's kind of like it there's nothing there, you know, there's, there's, it's not, everything we're seeking outside ourselves is only available inside ourselves, you know, and, and, and life is actually set up to guide us inside, you know, if we just see that, we just don't know how that works, you know, so in a way, that goes back to the last question, you're just kind of helping people see how it works, it works like that anyway, you know, it's not, not really, it's not yeah. a new theory, it's just something to see, you know. It, and, and have you become a student of story based on what you've been saying? Because it sounds like story is a huge part. You mean like using metaphor and story to help people see things? Or well, that that, that and and the the nature of story in all of life. Yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, I I like using stories as a way of kind of helping people, like depersonalizing experience, you know, it's kind of like, and just using stories, because when it's your experience, if you're coming to me for help, if we're talking specifically about your experiences, there's so many nuances and things, you know, it's like where people can get lost. But if you take them away from their story and look at more of the nature of experience or the nature of life within from a story or metaphor point of view, people are just more relaxed and and able to hear something that's transformative rather than uh, when they're like tight in themselves trying to work out as what you're saying in relation to them and their life or something, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I love I love going to uh, movies particularly, but reading and theater and and enjoying the show and enjoying the story and enjoying the thing. But I love those moments where I go, oh, that's a message for me. Uh, mm. you know, oh, I get it. Uh, and uh, my my poor darling wife, Susie, uh, we, we then come out and said, what did you think of the film? I said, yeah, yeah, forget the film. Oh, there's this bit about this and then uh, and that and I can let this go and and that I understand, no, which is, and and that 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 wonderful curiosity about the possibility that life, um, you know, what is outside of us is is highlighting for us, uh, uh, is is quite possible. But one of the questions now, you just sort of mentioned, um, you know, uh, uh, Sydney Banks and and sort of three principles of things a little ways back, and Michael did it really well. Uh, can you tell us what the, those three principles are, or or have you covered that in in everything? But just sort of to get it into a little bit of a um, a takeaway. Yeah. I think um, Sydney Banks' teachings was um, that the, the three principles were mind, consciousness, and thought. You know, mind as in universal mind, as in there is a spiritual intelligence behind life, you know, like an unexplainable um, force. You know, it's kind of like that's palpable, but like, you know, words kind of often fall short of describing it, but you can, but you know, it's there, you know. And um, thought is that we create our experience via thought. We create ourselves. We create our, you know, we experience life via our thinking, you know. And, and often a lot of us have got lost in our thinking, in our story of ourselves, in our idea of ourselves, in our idea of the world, in our idea of who we are and who we need to be to be okay. You know, it's all com- completely thought-created ideas, you know. And consciousness is really, as he explained it, you know, it's like our 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 awareness of ourself in the world, you know, it's kind of like, you know, without consciousness, thought is not brought to life, you know. And that was really his um, explanation of the creation of the human experience, you know, within that. And and there is something beyond that, you know, often like what, what I, some of the things that I love about his teachings was that, um, you know, there's a space, there's a space beyond that that you, you can't really explain, but you can experience, you know, and what that, you know, in my further pursuits and education since those realizations, you know, with non-duality and uh, Rupert Spira and different spiritual traditions and stuff like that, you know, I kind of realized that um, you, you can only have direct experience, you know, there's no truth, you know, in the world. You can only you can only point to direct experience, you know. It's kind of like, and sometimes there's an internal knowing of something, you know, but as soon as you start to use words to try and explain it, it doesn't fit with anything else, you know, and I guess that's what Sydney Banks was the same way as many Eastern uh, traditions, Advaita, Kashmiri, Shaivism, non-duality, all those things, they're all pointing to this, no, to uh, Zen Buddhism, you know, it's all pointing to the same thing, you know, it's pointing to the, the place of perfection within, you know, like to the creation of suffering in the mind in an attempt, you know, to, to return back to itself, you know, they're, they're all pointing to the same thing as I see it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And just for those that have been following us in terms of Ian McGilchrist and the left and right hemispheres, this is the, this is the right hemisphere's direct perception of, um, of things, as opposed mm. to the abstract representation of things in the left hemisphere. Sorry, Chuck. Yes, there, Jason. No, it is, but it's, but it's one of the really interesting things. And Matt's just uh, we've we've just done the latest uh, issue. We, we Matt's going through and, and covering it over the whole year, and and just this idea that actually the logical, rational, um, uh, objective mind is actually quite abstract because it's not founded. And, and settled within what are the deeper aspects. And the, the deeper aspects can, as that you've been talking about there, those fundamentals of, of, of um, manageable, of, of enjoyable human experience, um, are there regardless of some of the details. Uh, and, and it's just um, the, 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 once you start to get those sorts of aspects, uh, I, I remember the Dalai Lama one time and uh, he was, he was, um, he was being asked uh, a whole bunch of questions and and some sort of rascalious uh, uh, interviewer said, uh, well, Dalai Lama, we know, this reincarnation thing that you've been banging on about, uh, uh, what if it's not true? And the, the Dalai Lama thought for a second, he said, well, it doesn't matter. We're sort of like, 
it's lovely. I live my life well. It's it's a nice it's a nice bit of detail. But if it's not that if it's not that bit of detail, everything else is wonderful. And it, it it's it's um you know I hear so much of that in 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 what you're saying, and that wonderful thing that you've done, which Matt and I have done ourselves, as I say, despite the fact that we talk about a lot of details. Uh, is that we try to bring it back to saying, so So, how does that help us enrich us in our understanding of our human experience and other people's human experience? And um, uh, then, then, we start to, then we start to make beauty of the world. As, as my mentor said, he had an article 10, 15 years ago now, Art, Truth and Beauty, and it was in a psychotherapy magazine. And uh, everybody just was, you know, horrendous they were castigating of the article but it was a it was just ahead of its time and beautiful i think when you what you were just saying it reminded me of like uh, the knowing thing that i was talking about you know that the 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 details of experience like experience happens i'm not talking i it took me a few years to sort of and i guess my articulation of what i've seen and what i share with people changes as my own insights happen you know and like I sort of thought, because I'd come from a life of suffering, a long time of suffering, that somehow that experience that I had, because it was quite blissful, that life was now going to be perfectly blissful and there was no human experience, you know. But, like, in in my later years, I've come to realise that it's all divine, you know, that there's our humanity is divine too, you know, all the triggers, all the moments, all the getting lost in experience, you know, happens still because that's part of, that's all part of the design, you know. It's like, but there's always a knowing there's always a knowing that there's nothing I need to do, you know, like the details of experience don't colour the background, you know, it's kind of like there's a background in knowing that I'm okay no matter what now. It's kind of like I don't need to go off and, you know, and, and get help for my momentary loss of when I shout at my kids or something, you know, for a minute or something like that, you know, it's kind of I can quite laugh at myself and think, oh, yeah, you know, it's kind of like I got lost in that again, you know, because it happens from time to time, you know, it's kind of like I, I ride the... I ride the roller coaster of the human experience much more gracefully, you know, than what I did. I'm not trying to escape it anymore. You know, it's kind of like, because I really thought there was an escape, a, a life of bliss. If I really could understand these spiritual tr- teachings and truths, which I don't know how much you've looked into, but some of them are like, there's no body, there's no anything, there's nobody there. You know, it's kind of like, and that's some of the extreme Advaita spirit, neo-Advaita spiritual teachings that like there is only awareness, you know, and then there's the creation of yourself within awareness. Somehow uh, has people thinking, well, if I could really actualize and realize this point, this spiritual point and this spiritual truth, then I'll be completely blissful. You know, it's like, but we're human. We're experiencing a body. We're experiencing traumatic imprints, generational stuff, you know, sensations of the body and perceptions of the mind. You know, it's kind of like, and it's all okay. You know, it's like, it's no longer something to be fixed. You know, it's just something that happens, you know. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it's all okay. You know, when we're talking about this this work with addictions, which I think is is really important, the focus that you've done on that, as the lived experience and also the learned experience, and then the experience experience. You know, the that that final thing. This uh, th- this work you do with uh, with the, uh, and the program you apply. How how, uh, how does that um, settle in with all this uh, interesting stuff that you've been talking about? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good subject, addiction, you know. It's kind of like what I saw um, after my experience was that, like, addiction is really just in the... It, we, if we're living in a body-mind, which is a self-correcting system, you know, and it's kind of like, and, and again, I don't want you to take my word for it, it's kind of like if you... Uh, cut your finger and you just leave it alone, it kind of heals by itself. If you break your leg, it heals by itself. You put food in your mouth, you don't have to think about digestion, just all happens automatically, pops out the other side. You know, it's kind of like, it's all working, you know. It doesn't even make sense that human design would include a mind that requires loads of meddling with and fixing, but everything else works by itself, right? I mean, if that's true, then addiction is to me is is just an innocent attempt that we do to try and quieten the mind you know it's like it's a behavioral 
process or substance in you know um that we take as a way of quietening what we where we're lost within ourselves you know and, and and i often describe addiction as like the steam valve of, of the pressure cooker you know in this self-correcting system like if we get a little bit lost in ourselves which we often do which is the creation of all suffering you know it's kind of like um then doing something, taking something is just a way of regulating, you know, it's just the system working perfectly. And, and I think that if you can imagine a, a pressure cooker without a steam valve, without a valve, a release valve, it, it would explode at some point, you know, it's kind of like, which I guess is psychosis or suicide for anyone if you're looking at it from a mental health point of view. So addiction, in my mind, makes perfect sense in that respect, you know, and um, it is just an innocent attempt to quieten the mind. It's 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 intelligence at work. You know, addiction is intelligence at work. It's not an unexplainable phenomena or a disease. It's it's our system working exactly as it's meant to work. And all you have to do is see that. You know, so when I work with people with addiction, I don't ever talk about whatever they're struggling with. It's just never a point of conversation. You know, it's if they come with food addiction or gambling addiction, porn addiction or you know, it's kind of like then, okay, we look at the nature of life. We look at the nature of experience. You know, we look at the creation of the mind. Who do I think I am, you know, as a separate being? And where do I think I need to be? And look at the the source and the creation of all those things. And it's really cool because I, I have to, I trust in this, you know. It's kind of like that at some point on the journey, you know, I say to people, what happened with that, like, thing? I don't always mention it. What happened with the overeating or something you know it's kind of oh that yeah I just stopped doing that it's kind of like stop being a thing right and it's kind of like I don't know why it just kind of didn't look interesting anymore or I just felt like it was really easy to stop doing it you know and it's it makes perfect sense right that like if we're waking up joyful and content and happy and so on and our life's really good and we're curious and excited about what's coming today we don't need to medicate that there's no need to escape from that, right? But if we're waking up like we're walking in quicksand thinking, my life is shit, oh, my God, it's so bad, what am I going to do? It's kind of like, you know, I've got to fix this, I've got to fix that, I've got all these bills, I've got this, I've got a bad relationship, I need to lose weight. Of course, we need something to take us away from that, you know? It's kind of like, so really the awakening of the human spirit, you know, just just takes away the need for medicating ourselves in, in any way. And sometimes people have to break, there's a little bit more to it, sometimes they have to break the habitual process that they've been lost in, you know? It's kind of like, not always, but sometimes it happens, you know? It's like... Um, but I, I'm I'm guided by the moment with that, you know, when when working with people. But it really is a beautiful experience to see people wake up to that truth of who they are and no longer need to medicate their experience, you know. Right, and I'm guessing that the the releasing of sort of physiological, you know, addiction to a, a substance or whatever is is probably the easier part than um, once there's been a realization of what has actually been going on. In terms of, people, yeah. Yeah, people need to be, de I mean, I'm not talking about if someone has a severe addiction, perhaps they need to go to rehabilitation and be detox first. You know, it's kind of like, I'm not suggest. I, I, I'm quite uh, mindful of, you know, because I've been through that, that process for a long time with people. If people come to me that have a severe uh, medical, require medical detox or dependency, then, you know, suggest they get medical care for that, you know, until they've got a clear mind and are able to sort of listen and be present with something, you know, it's like, so... Right. Um, you know, when you're working this way online, virtually and so on and stuff like that, unless you've got sort of um, physical care, you can't really deal with some cases of addiction that are extreme, like, like mine was. You know, I needed to be removed from society for uh, a period of time. I needed medical care for a period of time. You know, I was completely incapable of looking after my washing myself. You know, it's kind of like when I was in that. And I know that it gets like that. But yeah, for many people, they're not, some people are suffering to that extent. Many people are not. They're suffering with other process and sort of binge related stuff and things like that, that don't require medical intervention, you know? Yeah. I'd really like to know, Jason, if there is a, a, a bit of a case study bit of a feel um, for, you know, people that have sort of been through this with you. If I just use food as an example, you know, it's mm. quite a common one, you know, it's kind of like I had a client that came, they'd had some sort of inclination and realisation that there was something more, there was something in, in, to internal experience. Um, 
but they were still compulsively eating, you know, they're still, and they're still troubled by it, you know, it's kind of like, so uh, often this is like the conflicting journey of people sort of starting to realize that experience is created within, but still behaving in a way trying, that seems like, well, how come I'm still doing this? You know, it's kind of, like I've started to see what's going on. But as I said earlier, you know, in, in a lot of spiritual teachings and stuff, people kind of are searching for this blissful experience, think that there's no experience of the body or no experience of the mind, you know. And with this particular client that I'm thinking of, you know, there was still there was still a lot of experience happening in her life, you know, that was um, uncomfortable. You know, it's kind of like, so, so basically throughout the process of uh, three months, you know, as I'm thinking about this person, um, we started to realize that, you know, she, she got to the point where it was okay to be me. You know, it's like through realizations, through transformative conversations and realizations that, you know, it was like, instead of seeing, oh, this happens and, I, and it's something that's wrong with me and I really need to fix it. This happens in social situations when I'm with people. I, I just feel like I want to run away from them. I don't know what's going on. You know, it's kind of like, and I need to be okay with everything. You know, it's kind of like, so all these little areas of life, you know, and really it's, it was really about just reconnecting to yourself a lot of this journey. You know, it's kind of like, the, I always say the most difficult thing you'll ever do is meet yourself, you know, and it's kind of like, and that's what everyone is running away from the present moment, you know. So, so the, 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 the pointing and the teachings is really about reconnecting to yourself and, and being in your body, you know. It's kind of like with all the sensations that happens in life in relation like, as we said earlier, you need another person, right? So life is a mirror, you know? It's like every other person, every other object is a mirror, and there's a response to that, you know? It's like, so seeing that it's all okay, you know? It's kind of like every time that some, that, that she would come with something more, this is happening, you know, and it's kind of like, yeah, and what's wrong with that? You know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I thought I had to change that. I really was lost in this story that there was something wrong with me. You know, it's kind of like, so all of it is the relaxing into the truth of who we are. You know, and you start to see that all experience is okay. And it was only towards the end that, I, that I'd said, you know, it's kind of like, how's that um, eating thing going? Oh, that's gone. You know, it's kind of like, I've just changed it. It's no longer seems like a, a habitual thing that I need to do, you know, so... It's non-linear, you know, and everyone is different and unique, and, and, but everyone is escaping the present moment in some sort of lost concept of themselves and idea of the world, you know. It's kind of like, so the, the collapsing of the stories and the collapsing, of, the collapsing of the story of me and the collapsing of story of how I need to be, you know, it's like, or where I need to be to be okay. And when those things collapse, people just see, you know, that they are okay, you know, and they, and they ride the roller coaster of life more gracefully, more, more contently, more happily without a need to medicate or escape their experience. And I've got hundreds of people that have been through that, variations of that story you know it's always the same thing it's just just we all create our own unique story about ourselves in the world so the content of the story is different but the actual what's happening is exactly the same you know uh, that, it's, that, 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 no it's that's fabulous i actually it, it just takes me back to we did a, a documentary on schizophrenia and we had some experts but we had some lived experience and uh, and each of them had done that very thing they just uh come to be that's their story and there was just a wonderful thing of a uh, of one of the chaps and he was just sort of saying well you know and uh and i learned uh, that sometimes i do these behaviors and and i see myself and i'll just say to one of my friends here and get a couple of mates that that and they they, they look after each other and uh it's a am i doing this and that they say well you are a bit he said well i think i'll take myself off to hospital and it was just all comfortable and engaged and self-owned uh, and and that enabled him and the others uh, to to live a very full and 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 engaged life without this burden of being, as you say, wrong or bad or broken or or all these all these things at distance from being okay. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Uh, well, Jason. Um, it's been really great connecting with you. If there's any sort of last thoughts you'd like to leave listeners with. I don't know who exactly your audience is, you know, it's kind of like, but if anyone is struggling, you know, I think that I always heard the saying, look within, look within, look within. And I was like, well, where, where do you look like? Is it, you know, it's kind of like, whereabouts? It's, and what does that actually mean? You know, it's kind of like, but 
that willingness to, to wonder, even to ask that question, what does it mean to look inwardly is a start of looking inwardly, you know, and it's like all, all answers are within, you know, they really are, and that's, and, and that's great, you know, it's kind of like it, it really helps us to stop on that kind of uh, train of suffering and seeking things outside ourselves, you know. So there we go. Uh, we just want to thank you so much for your time, Jason. And and uh, uh, and and there's a there's a mile of stuff there. We we have a lot of therapists, but of course, all therapists are uh, human beings who are going through an experience as well. So so it's it's a great. Uh, and hopefully they'll play this to, to to some of their clients. You know, which is yeah. which is really a good resource. So for now, though, we just mm-hmm. want to say thank you very much for your time, and uh, and we wish you well in all you do. And you guys, thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Richard. I I love that, Matt. Um, This this idea of um, – we talk about it when Mm. when we're talking. In fact, I'm doing a a presentation in in a – week or so, again, this thing about what is science. And I'm bringing up that quote from the, the young Indian mathematician saying oh, that yeah. science uh, science without philosophy is useless and philosophy without science is useless. You know, mm-hmm. we've, it, it is about life. It is about the being. And it's not about uh, this dissociative, disconnected observer only. It is always about the um, experiential, the subjective. It's that balance between the subjective and the objective absolutely it's that like i said in the in the interview that direct experience that we receive through our right hemisphere and yep. um yep. yeah and as jason was talking you know i was, I was reminded a time again uh just about the observing self and just how important it is to be developing the observing self now i don't know if jason would use that sort of terminology but this is that capacity of the right hemisphere and if you want to know more about the right hemisphere we have been doing a series in the science of psychotherapy magazine um, based on ian mckilchrist's book uh, the matter with things uh, so if if that sort of uh, philosophical look at neuroscience appeals to you, then you're going to love the series that we've been doing there. And th- we've got plenty of other things at thescienceofpsychotherapy.net, our academy site. We'd love to see you there. Um, become part of the tribe. Please do come in, and as editor of the magazine, I always, I always, you know, really keen to, to read Matt's Matt's uh, new instalments, and we're up about the twelfth or thirteenth one now. It's really uh, beautiful, uh, and it helps us understand Ian because Ian's wonderful, but sometimes a bit uh, uh, a bit dense. And so uh, yours is just beautifully enlightening. So come on in, read the magazine, check us out. Do a couple of questions, get a CEU point. Goodness gracious me, we are the one-stop shop. So <laughs> thanks thanks all for joining us. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us here at the Science of Psychotherapy podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.